I'm Allison Warner. And I'm Carrie Stevens. And we are the co-chief editors of Plastic Surgery Practice. Thank you for joining us for this podcast episode. We are so excited to have Dr. Alex Zorarian with us today to discuss one of the fastest growing cosmetic procedures, the Brazilian butt lift. Dr. Zorarian is the founder of Zuri Plastic Surgery in Miami, where he specializes in aesthetic procedures of the face and body, including facelift, eyelid surgery, rhinoplasty, breast augmentation and reduction, abdominoplasty, liposuction, and of course, the Brazilian butt lift. So Dr. Zorarian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you. Great. Well, let's get started. What do you think is leading the rise in BBL procedures? Uh, well, I think there's been a, a huge cultural shift in regards to um, female aesthetics and uh, what mainly women are looking for nowadays in regards to, especially the buttock uh, in particular. There was always, uh, for many years in plastic surgery, there was always a, a heavy push into what was breast aesthetics and breast augmentation surgery. And um, as plastic surgeons, we really refined that technique uh, over the last 30 years. Um, um, and so things have really shifted now. Um, women still do a tremendous amount of uh, breast augmentations, but the, uh, the shift to the buttock really came about with the phenomenon of Jennifer Lopez and with the Kim uh, Kardashian uh, phenomenon. And so that really has changed the, the you know, the, um, the, bre- the aesthetics of, of the female. And, uh, you know, the surgery has gotten much and much more popular and, um, and, and, you know, a lot of surgeons have gotten a lot better at it, too. Of your patients that you see, what percentage typically are um, good candidates for this procedure? If they come in and say, yeah, you know, you'd be good for this. Yeah. So what you're looking for is to try to figure out in general if, um, you know, if they're a candidate. So you want to see a lot of the anatomical characteristics that they have. You want to be able to do a physical examination. You want to be able to feel what areas would they benefit from. When, uh, when getting liposuction done, have they had children in the past? Do they have any skin laxity or elasticity that's not going to be good for liposuction, uh, where instead they would benefit more from an abdominoplasty or a tummy tuck? Um, so, you know, the weight of the patient, the age, the overall physical characteristics of the patient, and what they desire, and, and if they have realistic expectations are all super important. Have you noticed a change in what patients have wanted? Because you talked about, you know, this procedure has been around for a while. You know, it seems like it was like as big as possible at a certain point. But have you noticed a shift towards like a more natural frame? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of everything, you know, Um, just like breast. um, I think there was a time where it was like the bigger the breast, the better. Um, And uh, that was the days of like Baywatch and Pamela Anderson. Um, (laughs) You know, those those days are long gone. They're long gone in breast. Um, and uh, nowadays, everybody's looking for like a B cup, maybe a small C cup breast uh, for the most part. Uh, you do have outliers in everything, of course, in, in every every specialty and in every procedure in plastic surgery. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, people are specifically coming to see me saying that they do not want a Kim Kardashian, but they do not want really? a specific... Yeah, they, they, they don't want uh-huh. that. They want shape, and they're not looking for large volume. Oh, okay. So what kind of pictures are they bringing into you then? You know, because it does seem like uh-huh. influencer culture comes in, and, you know, people come in with their preconceived ideas, what they want. Who's What kind of pictures are they bringing you now when they are bringing you pictures? You know, they bring me a lot of uh, pictures from Instagram. Instagram is mm-hmm. very heavy on um, on promoting this, actually. It's 
Instagram has completely changed the plastic surgery industry, um, really? like many others. Okay. Yeah, but for us, it's been a huge game changer. Um, you know, you know, part of it is that they want to look a certain way, and and it depends the kind of influencer that they follow, and and kind of mm -hmm. like what draws their attention. Um, but people in my practice, they don't come to me specifically for large size. They're looking more for shape. Uh, mm -hmm. mainly and um and then you know yeah we i look at pictures i'm happy to to entertain them uh but for the most part it's it's more of a realization in my conversations mm -hmm. with them that mm -hmm. what they're looking at on social media is not what they're going to get that's not mm -hmm. the result okay. that they're going to get um and it takes a lot of education and a lot of you know time spent with the patient helping them realize that what you see on facebook and instagram is not real it's not real life it's not what i can get you to look like necessarily yeah what do you think for for your peers what do you think is kind of best practices in terms of communicating with patients about those expectations mm -hmm. well first thing is that the surgery is very dangerous it's about a one in three thousand mortality uh it's, it's very dangerous operation you before you even think about having the surgery done you really need to do your research on who is going to do it what technologies are they using to do the procedure, to do the fat grafting in the buttock? Um, you know, in Miami, we do so much volume of these surgeries that uh, we've kind of gotten sometimes a little bit of a, of a reputation because the more surgery you do, the more complications you have. That is right. just a statistical number. Just like the more you drive, the more chances you're going to get into a car accident. The more right. planes you take, the more chances you're going to get on a plane that's going to crash. That's that's just statistics. So, and it goes with any surgical procedure. Um, so, you know, it's very important that as practitioners of this specialty and of this particular procedure, that we spend a lot of time educating the patient on first of all the mortality rate, second of all the limitations of fat grafting, third of all that not everything you inject you get to keep. It's not all yours. Mm. Some of that fat does die and it does okay. get absorbed by the body. About and how much of that fat dies? 30% dies in six months. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So a lot of times, another very important concept that we educate the patients on is that one round of liposuction and fat grafting may not be enough to get you where you want to go. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need to do a second round and you need to space them out a year apart and give yourself enough time to heal and to recover and all that. And then if you want to push the envelope again, then mm -hmm. by all means, we can, we can try again and get some more fat out and try to do some tweaking and improvements and, and things like that. Uh, the same thing for breast. You have a woman that comes in, she has an A cup or less, and she wants to go to a C cup or more mm -hmm. and you know she can't she's not going to get from an a cup to a c cup in one operation um, oh. typically you need to kind of bridge that gap so you put in the biggest implant you can and you give her six months to a year for that breast skin to stretch and accommodate and then you bring mm -hmm. in and you switch it up to a bigger implant um, really i didn't even know that that's so interesting yeah 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 so there's a lot of preconceived notions about plastic surgery for sure yeah, definitely. Because I had never thought I hadn't, you know, in the reading I've done, I hadn't heard anything about needing additional surgeries. But no, that absolutely makes sense. So 
So it definitely sounds like that's not maybe penetrating the public perception of these this procedure. No, no. A lot of people have a one and done mentality, which mm-hmm. in plastic surgery is not realistic. I tell everybody that I meet with in person, Rome was not built in a day. <laughs> I cannot change 35 years or 40 years or 50 years of gravity, of multiple pregnancies, of weight fluctuations, of hormonal changes. I can't fix all of that in one day and one surgery. Um, not if you want to get the best result. It's just, yeah. it's just not possible. So, um, you know, I think we need to educate the public as, like through these venues, like podcasts. And, you know, on my website, I try to do that as well. But, you know, YouTube and other, other, other video and, and audio outlets that, that get to the public um, somehow to educate them that they shouldn't expect to have all, you know, their dream bodies in one operation. That's really interesting. And I don't think the general public has any clue about that. Um, and is that something your fellow plastic surgeons are telling you too? Like my patients come in with these completely unrealistic expectations. They think it's a one and done. And yeah. How, yeah. And how, yeah. I was saying, how to also do the, the patients respond when you tell them it's not one and done. Yeah, that's the part where it gets a little bit tricky because I'm a private practice surgeon. I'm not taking insurance. I'm not taking Blue Blue Cross Blue Shield or I'm not taking uh, government insurance. So I always have to preface it with this is not about money. It really isn't. This is not about the financial aspects of it. This is trying to get you the best possible results that I can get for you based on what your expectations are. It has everything to do with your expectations. And, um, you know, my colleagues and I have been a little bit disconnected because of COVID. So all of our meetings have been virtual and you don't get to really sit down and, and, you know, have a conversation with your colleagues because you're just too busy in these virtual meetings that you don't, you know, you're listening to these lectures and you're, you're getting, you know, your continuing medical education requirements taken care of, but you're not networking and you're, you know, we weren't able to really connect. So actually, I'm going. I'm going to San Diego to the American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery meeting. Uh, actually, it's next month. I think around this time, mm-hmm. and uh, that'll be the first meeting that I go to since COVID, with all mm-hmm. of my colleagues in one conference center. So yeah, it's yeah. Gonna be, that definitely gonna be changes really the conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the key safety issues of BBL. What what should patients know? Well, patients should know that the safety uh, record, the track record of the surgeon is very important, but they should also know that anybody can have a complication under general anesthesia. Okay. True. I I have surgeons that are way, way more experienced than I am and have been in practice way longer than I have. And they've had a, they've had a death uh, related to this procedure. Yeah. So, I don't have, you know, no surgeon can have a big enough ego to absolve himself of the possibilities that your patient can have a complication. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not ethical. That's not professional. Um, and it's not realistic. It's not logical. So yeah. patients need to know that complications happen. They need to know that it's, it's very much a statistical, uh, it's a numbers game. They need to know that. Um, they need to know that it's not anything specifically that they did 
or necessarily that the surgeon did, but mm -hmm. sometimes these things happen. It's almost like a perfect storm that kind of like, kind of like just comes together and things, things can go wrong. Things can go wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it happens in every part of, of surgery and every specialty of surgery. The problem is that plastic surgery is in the news and we're on, you know, TV and we're on Instagram and we're on social media and the gallbladder that's done at the hospital at three in the morning, yeah. that doesn't get the front page news. That doesn't get Instagram. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares if somebody died from a gallbladder surgery. I hate to yeah. say it like, wait, yeah. I mean, it, I, I, I hate true. to put it that yeah. way. But because it happened in the hospital, you know, the hospital lawyers cover everything up. Uh, it doesn't get to the public mm -hmm. eye. The surgeons who work in the hospitals are backed by these groups of attorneys that take care of everything for them. They take care of their PR, their media, what the message that goes out of the hospital, where us who are solo private practitioners that are not, you know, surrounded by this public relations team or, you know, we don't, we don't get to control that message necessarily. No, no, the other, the other important aspect too, is that people don't expect to have complications when they have plastic surgery. They think that this is like getting their nails done, getting their hair done, putting on, and this is like a spa. And yeah, we may make it feel like a spa to you, but this is surgery, like a hundred percent legit yeah. general anesthesia surgery. Yeah. 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 Well, that was the point I was going to make, or I was going to ask you about, because, you know, it's like you said, it's like, you know, there's risks when you have a gallbladder out, there's risks and you have an appendix out. So, you know, this is anesthesia we're talking about in a, a surgical procedure. Um, when you talk to your, or when you're talking to your peers or when you talk to your peers, um, what do you guys talk about in terms of best practices for making a BBL surgery as, you know, safe as possible? Is there equipment or technology you're using that really helps you in that yeah. asset? Yeah. So I have been using a wireless ultrasound device uh, that some of my colleagues have been using as well for a few years. Um, for me, it's changed the game in terms of safety. I can have much better visualization of the anatomy. I can see where I'm injecting uh, with more clarity. Uh, it kind of takes the blind aspect of the surgery. It kind of removes that blind aspect to it, and it gives you a little bit more confidence. Um, there is a task force that was implemented also a few years ago, um, and uh, there was a group of plastic surgeons that got together. They studied cadavers. So they went to the cadaver lab. They looked uh, specifically at the patients who had died um, uh, after undergoing one of these operations. They did cross-sectional anatomy studies and they found kind of some correlations among these, these, these patients that unfortunately had this devastating complication, but they were able to come up with a set of, of recommendations uh, on how to try to mitigate the risk. Um, albeit that, um, it's not perfect. Um, we don't have any real true long-term studies on Brazilian butt lift, Brazilian butt lift complications, wireless ultrasound use during fat grafting. We don't have really good long-term data. Um, the, the society, American Society of Plastic Surgeons is trying to obtain long-term data, uh, to, to, to get the public more informed and, and to get us as surgeons better recommendations on safety on what else we could do, what else we could possibly do to make mm -hmm. the surgery safer. I honestly think that no matter what happens, this is always going to be a dangerous surgery. 
it's always going to be a difficult operation, no matter, you know, how much, you know, we, we try to make it safe. It, it's just part of the deal. It's just, you know, you're literally injecting fat directly into the buttock and you can, you, anybody can hit a blood vessel inadvertently mm-hmm. and yeah. cause an, a, an immediate, an immediate absorption of fat into the systemic vasculature and, and, you know, cause a major complication. Wow. Are patients typically afraid? Do they, do they go in with knowing these risks? I mean, our typical patient that comes to you wanting a BBL, are they aware of the potential safety um, implications of the procedure? I think the public has gotten pretty well educated uh, in regards to to the dangers of this operation. I mean, we could always do more to to educate the public. There's no there's no question about that. Um, I think because of all, all the things that have happened with the mortalities and the deaths, you know, that have that have happened within the last five to five to seven years. Um, I think it's become much more mainstream news, um, mm. you know, that this is a pretty dangerous surgery. Um, nonetheless, I still think that people, some people are just naive to that. They, you know, they kind of trust the surgeon and, you know, the, the, the track record of the surgeon and, and um, they just go for it. They don't really question very much. They don't ask too much about safety. Um, they just want the results. They want to look the best that they can look. They want that before and after uh, effect, you know, and so they're willing to undergo the operation with, you know, with, you know, even, even if you appropriately counsel somebody as to the risks, it's at the end, it's, it's up to them. They sign a consent form and the consent form clearly says death is on the list of possibilities. So nobody's hiding that from you. Um, You're, you are signing understanding that that is a possibility. So you're an adult. I tell people, look, I'm like a lifeguard. We go to the beach. Um, you know, I tell them it's like swimming without a lifeguard. Um, yeah. You know, you could drown. You could drown. But, um, you know, I'll try to be there for you, you know, as best as I can to avoid you from drowning. But uh, you got to swim at your own risk sometimes. You just have to make your own decisions and you got to live by your decisions for better or for yeah. worse. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you, you just mentioned that, you know, you're an adult. What what age range, you know, are you seeing for patients coming in for this procedure? And is there an ideal age, you know? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. In my experience, the younger, the better. Um, really? The, okay. Yeah, the younger, the better. And I'll tell you why. The collagen content of the human body begins to de- degrade rather precipitously after you're 18 to 21. Hmm. Um, you start to have a steady degradation. You start to have um, also uh, increase in skin elasticity, in, in skin flaccidity, and um, you don't really bounce back as well from a liposuction procedure than a young patient. A young hmm. patient, um, you do liposuction and they are tight as a drum. Their skin is very tight and they heal very quickly. Um, you do that to a 40 year old. Uh, it's not the same. It, it, it's not the same. The results aren't the same. The skin uh, quality is not the same. Um, there's a lot of factors involved. I, I always stay away from operating on women less than 21 years old. I don't think that they're psychologically ready for it. Mm. 
I don't think that they really understand or have the maturity to understand the implications and the possible complications of, of the surgery. Um, I've had on a couple occasions, you know, moms come with their daughters and they've been 100% on board and they're super, you know, about their daughter having the procedure and, you know, they're there. Um, and so if I see somebody that has a really good support system like that, like a mother who's really involved, and I mm -hmm. have the time to explain to them all the risks, then I may waver and I, I may go down to maybe 18 years old, um, okay. you know, but it's very rare for me. I, I don't like to go below 21. Um, and I think it's just better for their, for, for you know, a lot of these, a lot of these girls are getting wrapped up in their teenage years and 18, 19, 20 with this Instagram and social media and they're lost. They're like completely, completely lost in yeah. this world. It's almost, you know, it's like this Facebook thing that's now no longer Facebook, right? It's meta. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So what does, what does meta even mean? Meta means living in an alternative universe. Yeah. Meta means we're no longer going to be like talking face to face as humans anymore. We're going to be in this ulterior world where, you know, we're not going to even represent each other anymore. I mean, we're going to have these, you know, like little avatars that are going to, you know, do, it's going to be, it's, I can't even wrap my head around it, but that is where we're going. Like yeah. literally that's just, just where <laughs> we're going. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. it's going to totally so, change. I mean, the I'm about to coming in. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I don't know. This, yeah. How do the results hold up over time? You know, you talked about the fact that you need more than likely more than one procedure, but once you've gotten through those procedures, how do how do the results hold up? What can patients uh, expect? Amazing. They're okay. they're phenomenal. The whatever you keep in terms of the fat that was injected, whatever mm -hmm. you keep at six months, at six months, that's yours forever. Mm. You you go to the grave with that. That's yours. That fat is yours. You're not gonna lose it. Um, you're not, it's not going to go away. This isn't a filler material. This isn't silicone. Um, mm. we're not using fix a flat like they do in some places. Uh, you know, these crazy stories that you hear of like, you know, these garage, you know, go to some garage and they're filling your buttock with all kinds of synthetic. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. this, the, res the results are phenomenal and the shaping that you get, like the body contouring that you get is unparalleled you cannot get that with exercise you just you can't really you can't yes i've seen it i've seen it i've done it you know i <laughs> i've i've done side-by-side -side comparisons with you know sisters and twins and you cannot beat the body contouring from liposuction because there are certain fat deposits in the human body that will not react to exercise they will not react and um right. Your, your genetics are super important. Your genetics make up a very large part of your shape. Your body shape is mm -hmm. really, really determined by your genetics. So what is the, I mean, so these patients come in for the BBL, what is the recovery like? And does your facility, do you offer aftercare services or like, what is the recovery like for these patients? Recovery is brutal. Amongst all the surgeries that I perform, the BBL is the most brutal uh, recovery. Mm. Um, okay. because liposuction burns, mm. it's a different type of pain. It's not the pain 
of an incision or the pain of a cut, it's it's a full body burn um, because you're literally, you know, bringing in this cannula in and out and sucking high volumes of fat, but you're doing it globally. So you're doing it the whole back, the whole abdomen, the whole flanks, you know, the, the whole entire waistline. So it's like a general body pain. Um, mm -hmm. So it's pretty, it's, it's intense. It's intense. I mean, I don't, I don't sugarcoat it. I tell all my patients the same thing. I say, I say, get ready because this is going to be probably one of the worst pains you've ever had in your life. For mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't compare it to pregnancy or, or anything like that, but it's a different type of pain. Pregnancy pain is one thing. Um, liposuction pain is totally different, totally different. Mm -hmm. So the recovery is a lot of massages. You need about 15 massages. Um, you you need to wear compression garments. Um, it's it's a hell of a time getting in and out of the compression garments. It's I feel bad mm -hmm. for them because it's so painful. Yeah. Um, but the results are, I mean, they're awesome. I mean, they come back three months later, four months later, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm so happy I did it. But the yeah. first week after is like hell. It's literally uh, yeah. hell. Okay. Wow. Do you offer in your practice any kind of, do you offer that massage in your practice to kind of keep the patient engaged with the practice or how do you keep the patient, um, you know, keep that relationship going if you want to get to that? Yeah, we can talk about that. So in my particular practice, the building that I, I currently um, operate in, uh, which is my building, and, and I built it out as of approximately a year ago, I, I gutted the building and I built it from scratch and I wanted to have a very premier practice in South Miami, which I, I grew up in, in this area. And, and in Miami, this is for me, one of the nicest areas to practice. Uh, I'm not in a high rise building. I'm not on the 51st floor. I'm on ground floor. And, um, and I wanted to give my patients the best experience possible, but I, I, I haven't gotten to the point, and this is the next stage in my, in my practice, where I'm now acquiring a separate space, completely separate from the main operating building, where I'm going to start providing massages and IV fluid therapy and hyperbaric oxygen therapies and you know, uh, you know, more of that kind of med spa uh, mm -hmm. services that I currently, I currently uh, you know, I, I, I re give referrals. I, I refer yeah. to other people in Miami who, you know, they can have their massages with, but I can't control that experience. And mm -hmm. so I want to be able to control it better. That's interesting. And that's, that could be a really good way to, yeah, to get the med spa side. I, that seems to be where a lot of the plastic surgeons we've talked to are really getting into that side. And I'm not going to say double dipping, but there's such a crossover, I'm sure, with the med spa and the, yeah. you know, aesthetic plastic surgery side. But yeah. 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 So, one of the things Alice and I were talking about is what if someone decides, you know what, I don't like this. I want to reverse the look. How do they do that? I mean, I'm sure that's probably not something you see a lot because I'm sure they're happy with their outlets. But what if they decide, oh, no, like I don't, you know what, I don't like having a bigger butt. It's happened to me probably three times in the last five to seven years. Hmm. Um, it's not common at all, at okay. all. I've done thousands of these surgeries, like thousands. <laughs> yeah. And three out of two or 3,000 patients yeah. is nothing. So what do you do? Well, the option is to go back to surgery. 
The option is to liposuction the buttock. Um, the buttock is like a half moon. If you, if you look at the female form when uh, laying completely prone or face down, and you look as a, at a profile view, it's, you know, it's, it's basically like a half moon shape. The hard thing with that shape is to try to remove fat equally from both sides and not cause some sort of cosmetic deformity where they're flat here, but then they have more projection here or they have too much volume here and not enough here. So in summary, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. Um, I never enjoy doing them. I'm never satisfied with them. I never feel like I get to reduce them as much as I would like to reduce them or that I get to reduce them with such precision. It's, there's not a lot of precision, you know, as plastic surgeons, I mean, we we're, we're very precise. I mean, if you go into plastic surgery is because you, you're probably a very OCD type, a super meticulous, um, type of person. And, and if you're not that type of personality, I don't think you belong in plastic surgery. I think that you should go maybe do some other plastic, some other type of surgery, but not plastic surgery. Um, because that, this requires an insane amount of meticulous focus. And that's one of the operations where it's just leaves you with a, not a great taste in your mouth because you're not being very precise. You're not, you don't have a lot of control. So, well, I think this, I have a last question. I think really got to sums this up and I think this is a perfect way to end, but what excites you most about the future of plastic surgery? I think it's what excited me when I started uh, looking into it as a resident. I mean, this is, this is the most amazing specialty in surgery and academic surgery uh, in, in existence. This is, this is the specialty that has had the most advances um, than maybe, maybe neurosurgery um, and maybe orthopedics. So between the three of us, we've had the most you know, intense advancement since we were, we were developed as a specialty. And I mean, every day something new comes out. Every day I learn something different. Every day we push the envelope. And it's the most exciting thing, you know, that I, I think that I'll ever be a part of is, is being a plastic surgeon. It is, it's, there's nothing that I'd rather do. There's no other specialty. And I, this is, comes from being a general surgeon. I spent five years training as a general surgeon. I did a full, full specialty. I spent, you know, trauma surgery, pediatric surgery, cancer surgery, uh, everything that you can imagine under the umbrella of surgery. I yeah. did all that. And then I said, I want to be a plastic surgeon. And, and, and that's what I did. And, and it was because also of the freedom to practice in this country without having an insurance company holding you hostage, mm. holding mm. you hostage. And I believe in the American dream. I believe in small businesses. I believe yeah. in you being the, the, the person who decides your destiny and I was not going to allow for, you know, insurance companies or the federal government to limit the way that I wanted to either build my business or build my practice as a surgeon. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Zerarian. We really appreciate uh, what you've shared with us today, and we hope it's really informative for our listeners. Uh, to check out the latest of plastic surgery news, please visit plasticsurgerypractice.com. And until next time, take care.